The old lady put her bloody saw down so she could rest. She lit a cigarette and asked which podcast I like best. Well, my favorite podcast is Sometimes Dead is Better. Dead is Better. Sometimes Dead is Better. Okay, hello, and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we're back together. Finally. (laughs) And so our podcast is where we do a deep dive into a horror movie, and then I try to to tie a true crime to it. That's not accurate? Yes. Okay. You accurately described our podcast. (laughs) Okay, good. This is only our... What number are we on? 20... I, have, I don't know. We're almost at a year, aren't we? When, when will our anniversary be? Do you have any idea? Our year will be November 22nd. Oh, okay. Well, I'm way off. Yes. <laughs> but still, 20-some-odd episodes. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a, a landmark episode um, for a lot of reasons. It's going to be a long one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, should we talk about what movie we're doing first, or do we... Um, do we want to talk about what we're drinking? Or? Weren't we just saying that this is like our almost our 30th episode and we still don't know what we're doing? What is our format? I don't know. So the movie that we chose is... The Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Which, uh, warning, I'm going to have a long, just an even an introduction <laughs> to about how I was introduced to it, what it means to me. My family's going to be involved. It's uh, There's a lot. So, uh, Oh, my know, goodness. This may not be the episode for you if you're... <laughs> Just waiting into if, it. If every episode you're like, I could just maybe a little less Chris. <laughs> right. Not, not this, this one. This is not your episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just cleanse our palates before we get into Silence of the Lambs. So what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Um, so the most notable thing I've watched this week was, um, have you seen the new season of uh, Orange is the New Black? No, I haven't. Have you kept up generally? Yes. I'm trying to, okay, so. But for this season, you... I just haven't watched the start of this season Okay, yet. good. So, um, well, it's um, amazing. I think it's their best season since the first one, I think. Wow, okay. Um, because some of the seasons... I mean, I, I love that show. Love, I love, do too. love it. I do, too. But I get, like, some of the criticisms, yeah, you know, that it, some of the meandering storylines and some of the ways they sort of kind of do fan service with the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, what if these characters teamed up? You know, that right. type of thing. Um, and this season, they sort of just drop all that. It's just kind of more bare bones, kind of, it's more serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's still really funny. It has a concentrated storyline the whole way through. Is Natasha Leone back? She is, okay. yeah. And she she is fantastic in it. Uh, all the main characters are more or less there and all, all well served. Like, there's no, no one's really kind of short, um, shifted on it. And they have this... Um, storyline involving ice you know the, oh. um, there's the, the immigration camp is set up at the prison so they follow that through for a whole season as well and it's really powerful the way they do it okay um, and the way it ends i mean it's just very strong like it's, it's like wow they really kind of took their job seriously this year as far as you know winding things up and uh so i highly recommend it if anyone was on the fence about watching it and watch the show anyway because it's fantastic it really is great and I, I actually never really liked Red that much, but this season I liked her. And once you watch, you'll kind of need to see why. It's kind of hard not to. Oh, I always liked her. I mean, I, she just annoyed me. The, oh, that okay. accent, and it's like I just I know oh. I know that that's like the <laughs> Star Trek captain. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> it is a little a little heavy here. It's a little thick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what have you been watching? Well, I haven't been able to watch 
really anything I've wanted to watch in a while because so I did another one of those comedy roasts. Yeah. Which I think we've talked about before, but not on air. So I've done a couple of uh, me and a bunch of other comics in Atlanta dress up as different characters and then we do a roast. So it's really fun. The first one I did was Disney Villains. Who were you in that one? I was Mother Gothel from Rapunzel and that was really fun. And then the next one was Game of Thrones and I didn't do it because I was kind of burnt out from the last one, but I wish I would have. And then I was going to be, then we're going to do a Stranger Things roast and I was going to be the Demogorgon, but then that got canceled. And so we ended up doing a Netflix roast. So it was like all of Netflix, right? Yeah. And so I was Jessica Jones. So it has to be Netflix shows, like Netflix Yeah, or movies. Created, yeah. Well, Netflix, oh. It could be anything well, like Netflix. It's hugely broad. <laughs> it's so, it was very broad. Yeah. So it was a little more difficult to plan for. And then we had a Punisher, which I'd never seen the show The Punisher. So I had to like, I watched like three episodes of that. Then we had is a guy. Is that any good? I've never seen it. I like, it is was, it Thomas Jane? No, that's not Thomas Jane. <laughs> no, it's uh, Shane from Walking Dead. Uh, right, right. You know, John Bernthal. Yeah. Um, I like him. Yeah, but it was just, it was a lot of brooding and um, a lot of... Punishing. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of guns and I just... Right. Um, then I watched, I hadn't watched the season three of Jessica Jones, so I watched some of, a few of those. There was two people who played Grace and Frankie, so I watched like three or four episodes of Grace and Frankie. I heard this actually kind of good. It was. Yeah. Like immediately, Lily Tomlin was immediately hilarious and I was like, okay, I like this. Um, I think I'll go back and finish that one up but then i watched the first few episodes of umbrella academy because there was a character from that i liked that show too yeah you actually talked about you talked about that show on the your yeah. sister's podcast yeah or on your podcast with your sister yeah it's not hers <laughs> <laughs> sorry so my netflix queue like what i've been watching was literally just like jessica jones punisher grace and frankie you know all these shows that I've watched a little bit of, and I, I was working on that for the last month. So I, so I finally finished it, and so I sat down, and all I wanted to do was watch Mindhunter again. So I've been watching. I am so excited for that, Chris. Has that started yet? No. Well, I mean, I saw an article online that made it sound like it started today. No, it's like the sixteenth, um, I think. Oh, okay. I just can't take it. I want it so bad. <laughs> so I. That really is like your perfect show. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's like just, true crime. It's horror. It's chopping. It's so garage. good. It's so good. On the Netflix roast, we also had Joe Gawa from Queer Eye. Remember the the comic who oh, got yeah. the makeover? So he was on the roast. He played himself. Oh, crazy! Which is pretty funny. Yeah. So he was a really good sport because we all just made fun about made fun of him. How so? <laughs> well, like just about how he's not successful. And, you know, we, I mean, we're, it's a roast, right? right? So he knew what going into it, but also he was a really good sport about it. It was it was really fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into the movie, I guess we should talk about what we've been drinking or what, what we are drinking. What we will be drinking. <laughs> right now we're just drinking water. Yes. Um, so, well, I'll let you talk about this since you procured it and noted it. <laughs> well, it's funny that both of us were thinking like, hmm, oh my gosh, what drink are we going to do? <laughs> what could we do? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh my gosh, we have to get a Chianti. Right. So I got a, a Roca della Messi, the 2016 Chianti Classico. It is from Italy. So I'm hoping that Hannibal would be impressed. Yeah. No BS. Oh, it does. It says product of Italy. There maybe something happened in California with it, but <laughs> <laughs> so but I've never had a Chianti. It was just in the um, other Reds section. Yeah, and I, I can't say I've had one either. Uh, we have no fava beans. No. Another thing I don't really know what that is. 
I don't either. Okay, so is it like a lima bean? That's what I've always imagined. I'm not sure why you would have with a Chianti there. Does anyone ever really investigate that? Like, what does that <laughs> meal look like? Does he just pour them in the Chianti? <laughs> That's disgusting. Uh, so he ate his liver. So he had like the oh, right. liver. The liver is a dish. Yeah. Mm. Mm, it's delicious. Yeah. It's, it's dry. It is dry. But it's good. It's very rich. Yeah. I like that. Silence on the Lambs, 1991. This is a Jonathan Demme movie. You want to start with your your whole background and sure. your, your feelings? Okay, so I'm guessing everyone has you know seen this movie, you know. So hey, uh, you never know. We could have some young, you know. Uh, yeah, that's I was listening. I was reading the reviews on Letterbox the other day as I was you know typing in my own review, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I noticed a lot of people said I just watched this on Netflix the other night. I never seen it. I'm like, oh wow, that's great. And they say this one person said this film introduced me to cinema. I'm like, you yeah. know please but, but that's really cool you know people are still discovering it well, yeah, and also just for the listeners right now it's on hulu is where i watched it i watched it on amazon prime okay so it's on at least two streaming services okay um good so yeah 1991 uh so this movie i, I was watching it um thursday night and I've, I've probably seen this movie not exaggerating at least 80 times 80 i'm not exaggerating i mean since 1991 are you kidding me Okay, 70. <laughs> I, I've seen it a lot, too. I don't know if I could ever, if I could say I've seen any movie that many times. I mean, I could, I mean, this is like on the line, like Star Wars. Yeah, I'm just guessing, you know, okay. you know, but I don't know. But I, there's a while where I would just watch it every day on video. Just, why don't we just watch Sons of Lambs? For me, like, this is one of those sort of foundational movies. Like, I can remember five or six movies like that when I was a kid, anyway, like, really sort of, you know, I can remember the first time I watched them and, like, what I was doing and, like, why it's part of my interest. And I remember my mother, of all people, coming home from uh, some trip she'd been on. And she said, Chris, I just watched this movie in a hotel. And she was called The Silence of Lambs. And we're going to watch it. And I'm like, okay. How old were you? I was 11. (laughs) (laughs) And so my parents let me watch R-rated movies, you know, when I was 9 or 10, I guess. They they really let me as much as just give up. (laughs) Your your parents are cool. Yeah, but, I mean, they didn't love it. But they're like, he's going to watch them. So... So my mom decided this was a good movie for her to supervise and have me watch. I still have no idea why. Because this movie is, on any level, not appropriate for kids, right? No. And it's um, very dark. It's very dark. And it's very sexual. And mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things that I'd never seen before. And I remember just being absolutely, like, you know, completely horrified. And I remember thinking, like, wow, what's he doing with his penis? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just, uh, but I remember being just so proud of my mom like, after that for, like, introducing me to, like, something that cool that cool yeah and like wondering and i still wonder this day like why did she decide that i needed to watch it and i think that she probably just thought chris was chris is just gonna love this movie that's great yeah so i, I you know i kind of appreciate it like she realized that is not appropriate but he's gonna love it so much he's gonna watch it anyway at some point <laughs> i'm gonna be there with him when he watches it and i'm gonna get to see it again too well that's pretty cool yeah. when was the first time you watched it well i know i watched it as a teenager i remember being like very sucked into it which, but I, I also remember not understanding a lot of things. So I must have been somewhat younger because I didn't get, I still didn't quite understand. I remember like the scenes of when Hannibal like breaks out of the jail and one guy's tied up and he's got a face. I remember that being very confusing. I remember the fear of like watching that last scene in the dark. Um, I think I was watching it like during the day, but I remember just that being like the scariest thing I'd seen maybe since I was a kid. Yeah. And that's one scene that, for whatever reason, just doesn't diminish in its sort of scare factor. Yeah. It's because it's so primal. But mm-hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> um, I've seen this a lot, too. 
Um, but this is definitely one of my favorite movies too. The thing that always surprises me is when the, the credits come up and Chris Isaac names comes up. And every time I'm like, Chris Isaac? Oh, right. Yeah, it, it, like, it, like, it clicks in my head every time. It's like, well, I can't be saying Chris Isaac. Oh, wait, it is. He plays yeah. the SWAT team leader. Jonathan Dim. Is it Demi? I think it's Demi. Yeah. Right. He has a weird sort of like Tarantino-like cast of actors that he uses in each of his films. Uh-huh. Like a lot of these people are also in Philadelphia. So if you notice, he has a Roger Corman, um, who's a director or producer, you know, and mm-hmm. because Jonathan Demme used to work for Corman in the seventies, he was like all these exploitation things. Like he did Cage T. Did you know that? Yes, I had no idea. I saw that. Um, and that's how we got started. So he uses all these people in these movies, and they just kind of pop up. And I think Chris Ikes is, is just like one of those people he just likes, and he's like, "Yeah, you'll be the SWAT team." <laughs> well, I mean, I guess he yeah. also he has a background in music. He obviously he directed. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about that. The did Talking he, Heads documentary. And I wonder if he directed the Wicked Game video. I was looking for something like that, but I don't know if we could put individual videos in there. But I was wondering that, and as and as soon as I saw Chris Isaac, that's all I can think about is that <laughs> Wicked Game. Show? <laughs> no, that Wicked Game yeah. video, and it just made me horny. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that video came out when I was pretty young, and that was like the sexiest thing I'd ever seen. I, I, I remember that. I mean, I think they used to play it only like late at night or something. Jane, yeah, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> But another big thing I remember about this movie was um, this sparked my interest in the FBI because at the time, what's important to know is that I was training to be a Ninja Turtle. Okay. (laughs) That's right. You were getting your black belt. Right. Because me and my friend Jason in Alabaster, we had set up an obstacle course in in his backyard. So when the opening scene, when Jodie Foster is doing her her, uh, obstacle course, Uh you can't imagine how excited I got. Because I thought, wow, is this going to be like ninjas? <laughs> and I know the FBI did that type of thing. Um, so you had this, and then you had the X-Files come out just a couple years later. Mm-hmm. And then it was just, it was all over. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be an FBI agent because of the X-Files, too. Right. I think the Science of Lamb started it, although it was kind of weird when you think about it. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was a definite career path for me. I wasn't going to try or get better grades, or I just thought, that's what I'm going to do. I didn't want to ever hold a gun, yeah. but... That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, other than the absolute horror of the job, like the, the training looks really fun. You know? right. <laughs> I was thinking that looked nice being out in the woods. Yeah. And they have like their fake town where they just like have fake yes, robberies. Yes. You know what's and, so like, funny about that is, you know, like we're talking about my sister and she's a cop now and they have one of those, you know, where she went to training in Springfield, Oregon. Oh, really? It's like a fake little town. And so my mom went and did, um, I guess they, they need volunteers to get like super drunk in this little town. So and your then, mom was a drunk driver? Yes. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> she had so much fun. She said they give you like one drink and then two drinks and then they get you up to four drinks. And she was plastered. And she said it was so much fun. And they like pull you over. They go through the whole thing. They make you walk the line. Well, why do they need a drunk? Can they just have a pretend drunk person? Like, oh, so, the, so that cop knows what they're really dealing with. Yes. Okay. So we open, uh, and I do remember also, and this still for some reason assails me too, but you, know, you have the opening credits over the... Uh, the hill that she's climbing up and it's just very stark black letters you know the silence of lambs and it's even kind of slightly for whatever reason the fact that it's not quite straight because of the shot hmm. like the hill I can't quite describe what I mean but it's not um, it, it's disorienting and the, just the stark black letters it's so sort of unadorned I remember when I was a kid that bothering me really <laughs> it occurred to me last night or Thursday night when I was watching it how freaking young and Jodie Foster is. She <laughs> like, does look very movie. young. How old was she? She was, I, I, I did the math. Mm-hmm. So if she was only 12 in Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. notoriously so, Taxi Driver was like the late 70s. 72, so, I think? No, it was like the late 70s. Oh, late 70s. Yeah. 78? Maybe. 
Okay. Um, so that means she would have still been in her 20s when this thing came out, right? Yeah, I think she was. Add 10 years plus then some, so 25, 26. Yeah, we could also just look up what year she was born. But. So that's fine. Well, well, we have to do it by taxi driver. <laughs> we have to do it by taxi driver. Yeah. Well, so did you did you see that Michelle Pfeiffer was originally cast? No. Um, so Demi wanted Michelle Pfeiffer, and she was cast, but Michelle Pfeiffer said this was too dark for her. And so she backed out. Um, and then I, I don't think Demi even wanted Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster had to go in there and kind of convince him. But do you think that Michelle Pfeiffer would have been too hot? Does that make sense? Maybe. I mean, I don't want to yeah. say that Jodie Foster is not. I mean, Jodie Foster is beautiful. Yeah. But she's kind of just like, she looks just like a girl next door type, which with, with all the ogling from the guys and yeah. the leering, it actually made it creepier. You're right, yeah. That's a good Because point. it's just like a normal looking girl. Everybody's going to stare at Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Um, especially... My God, back in 91. Yeah. But, if, but yeah, you're right. If everyone's staring at Trey Foster, it kind of makes a slightly different point yes. in the movie. She doesn't want to be seen. She she can't help. Everybody keeps looking at her yeah. and looking her up and down. And she tries to keep walking and avoid the it, but she can't help it. And what bugs me now, which didn't bug me before, I mean, bugs, wrong word, but what you know strikes me is just it's less that she's a woman. It's just how young she is. Like everyone that's looking at her. That's true. Or like decades older than her. And it just... You know, when I was younger, like I always picked up on that. You know, there's all these articles about that kind of being the point, but it never really registered. Maybe it's just the sort of climate now, but she's a student. Uh, yeah, she's just, a student. Yeah. And there's a bit of a, you know, at first I thought maybe it's because she's a bit of a novelty being a woman. Mm -hmm. But if you watch, you know, the movie, it seems like there's actually quite a few women kind of dispersed throughout. Yeah, I noticed uh, that. The, there seemed to be. In the, in the, the, like on the SWAT team, there's that uh, mm -hmm. lady officer that's helping Chris mm -hmm. Isaac. Yes. <laughs> um, and she looks pretty no-nonsense. She's holding that shotgun. And then yeah. there's, you know. Uh, Her little friend. Yeah, Cassie Lemon. Uh, Art Cordelia. No, Ardelia. Uh, I could have done with more Ardelia. Yeah, and she, she just seemed pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah, and in, and in a storyline for her, that would have been cool. She was Is great. she more prominent in the book, I wonder? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Yeah. I remember her always thinking she was, you know, awesome. Anyway, that shot of her running down the hall at the end. Yes, you know, to like she so just drops cool. the phone. Yeah. Um, and then also, I mean, being a woman of color, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, especially back then. I mean, it's also like she seemed to be plucked from everybody else. So I'm sure there's jealousy about that. And then the fact that she's a woman makes it even. Hannibal's very crass about it when he asks right out, "Do you think he's sexually attracted to you or whatever? Do you think he just wants to sleep with you?" You're talking about Crawford. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, but she does have to think that. She has to think, like, is that why I'm here? You know, is yeah. that what it is? And then she's like, you know what? If it is, who cares? I'm going to do a good job. Yeah. And But I think what's the interesting point is that, you know, Crawford kind of concedes that. Not that he is sexually attracted to her, although, he, you know, maybe he is. Yeah, but he's never, like, creepy or... No, but I think he, I think he knows that Hannibal will think that. Yes. <laughs> and that's, in a way, why he... He's, he still kind of serves the same point. He picked her because of some version of... A sexuality, you know, like, yeah. so we have the, you know, the opening, you know, montage sort of a training scene. People on the internet notice to point out that the sweat stain on her back, did uh -huh. you notice that, is the same diamond pattern that Buffalo Bill does on the victims. What? Know? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's a thing. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to get into too conspiratorial. You can't <laughs> go way deep with it. Okay. Roger Ebert did a. Um. A, I think you could probably Google it. I remember reading it maybe ten years ago. Roger Ebert um, did a seminar where he did a shot-by-shot -shot, like breakdown of the Silence of the Lambs. Oh, my gosh. I mean, maybe not that minutia, but I mean, it took like eight hours, put it that way. And they would just break down with all these all these visual elements. And uh, and I think that was kind of one of the things, like the 
the sweat stain, which is prominent from the time she leaves the obstacle course, even when she's walking into uh, Crawford's office. Right. It's never changed. So you know there must be a point to it. I did see that Siskel of Siskel and Ebert hated the movie. Did really? you see that? No. Oh, my gosh. It was hilarious. Siskel. Um, they had a um, clip of their show. And Siskel just, he calls it um, trashy and a star-studded freak show. He says he doesn't understand why any of this work, why Jonathan Demme is stooping this low. He just goes on and on. And then Ebert is kind of like, um, I think you're wrong. And Siskel gets like, no, you are you are wrong and you'll see. And it's like, how embarrassing. Well, I mean, I think Jonathan Demme would agree with it being a star-studded freak show. <laughs> <laughs> he put that like on the front yeah. cover. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, I sure. Mean, I, I think that's silly, though. Like, if you read, like, the novel is obviously great, but the, the movie so clearly elevates the material to. I mean, but don't you... it was really weird because in that, that segment, Siskel mentioned that he preferred the movie that came out the year before, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I didn't like that movie. Me neither. And it wasn't that. I didn't even. I thought that was too disturbing. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing. So, Scott Glenn plays Crawford. Scott Glenn nowadays, he's still like good looking. Don't you, you think? You know, he's in the leftovers. He was in. Um... Have you seen the the last season of leftovers? No. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let me know after you watch that. <laughs> well, he, I... He's an attractive man, but when he when he uh, plays certain types, he can definitely let himself go. And like, I, all I can think about nowadays is third season leftovers, where he looks like a complete lunatic. <laughs> uh. Um, and but then also in. Castle Rock. He looks like, like a lunatic. He, but he's just like tan and like doesn't give a shit right. and just like, I don't know. But, I remember, I, but anyway. But when I watched this the other day, I remember thinking for the first time, like, wow, he's like a really attractive man. Like, I never really thought of that when I was younger. Like, yeah. Um, but what's really interesting is that he. Especially something like now at his age. <laughs> <laughs> he spent time with John E. Douglas, who was the FBI chief who wrote the, the, the Mind book Mindhunter. Yeah. Yes, and so he spent time with him. Douglas gave him a tour of the behavioral science unit. Um, he also, like, he let him listen to, I don't know if you remember in Mindhunter, they have a new recruit and they make him listen to Bedaker and Norris tapes. Do you remember that? I don't think so. I need to watch that show again. That's what I need to do. But these are like, this is like the, um, one of the worst things you could possibly hear. It's, it's torturing of of, a, of girls that these these two serial killers, Bittaker and Norris, did. And so, like, that's, like, the worst thing you can listen to. And um, Scott Glenn actually listened to these while Gosh. at the FBI. Yeah. But so I thought that was interesting. He walked out in tears, it says. Another thing I thought was really cool that I didn't realize that the backside of the moth on the cover of the poster is yeah. actually the small painting of, I mean, a small photograph of Salvador Dali's. I th- yeah, I, th- I may have known that. Yeah, it's like naked women who are making um, a skull, huh. and it's a photograph shot by um, Philippe Palsman. Salvador really helped out, I think. But so it's just like a miniature version of that on the back of the moth, which I thought was pretty pretty cool. Still one of the greatest movie posters of all time, I think. It is. So we'll talk about the first uh, major Anthony Hopkins scene, right? So she's met Crawford. Crawford's given her her assignment. Right. Um, there's Buffalo Bill memorabilia all throughout his office. <laughs> memorabilia. I think I would love to go to one of these offices and see, do people really tape up like newspaper clippings? And I mean, no, I know there's like the meme now of like the guy from, uh, what's that show? It's Always Sunny with like the diagrams oh, right, over yes. the wall. I have an art piece like that if you want to check out my <laughs> Etsy at Stitch and Kristen. Anyway, but yes, I, I do wonder that too. But it I, doesn't seem terribly useful. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, there's that article again. I mean, you know those facts. I, mean, I don't know. It just... <laughs> 
As a lawyer, I wonder that too, because it would never occur to me like to take my briefs over the wall or like you know just facts <laughs> about the case. <laughs> You're not like uh, Claire Danes in Homeland. No, and I think about it too. But maybe it'll be helpful. Maybe I need that visual reminder. But maybe. it's like no, I'll just look on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so there's that that um, opening scene again. Jodie Foster looks so young, and I haven't watched this in a few years. So this is the first time. It's like oh, she's like a law clerk. She's like a law student. Like that's the analogy I use. So mm, she's mm. still a in student. And this is like as if you're a law clerk at some firm or something, you're based, and you're being sent to like say try a case, and you have no business doing that, right? Nor could you really; you wouldn't be allowed. But you know that's the analogy. Like, so this is how young she is, and yeah. like it's and like it was also um, jarring whenever he was like, "So later today, I'm going to need you to go." And it's like, "Whoa!" Just right. just throwing her right into it. Here's the file. Yeah, go take a shower. Um, yeah, and I love the way she plays that in that scene. She's you know obviously like 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 holy shit, right. <laughs> but at the same time like trying to appear composed and oh like, my gosh i know and you know like you know and she's like asking questions like oh is this about buffalo bill and that's like i can see myself doing that to like <laughs> trying to look smart right, right. such a good scene and, and I, when i was younger it, i just i never really picked up on all that like i just thought oh she's an fbi agent no she's not even an fbi agent yeah she's a kid she's a student yeah she should not be doing any of this no. <laughs> and, uh, and then he sends her right to dr chilton who is a bit of a is predatory too right he immediately asks her out he's so creepy yeah and this is after i mean you've already kind of mentioned this but just just her walking down the FBI hole, she's being looked at by every I don't think there's a male character in this movie that doesn't look at her in, in some way. Like the scene where she goes in the elevator and there's like the ten guys around yeah. her, it's very claustrophobic mm-hmm. and uh, and that's how the movie just opens. Right. <laughs> so much less when she gets to Chilton. Very much a creep. But she also knows how to play that too, you know? And she's like, Oh, you know, I really just gotta get back. I'm so sorry. And then she can tell he's starting to get upset and she says well, I just wanted a little more time with you. Yeah. That's all that you need to do. Like and then, a boss. Yeah, and he's just like, oh. Yeah, he kind of so smiles. She, yeah, and, so she also knows how to handle yeah. it. Like, that seems great, too, because he gets what she's doing, but it's still, like, uh, narcissistic enough that he, like, appreciates it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love how she does it. Because she gets everything she needs to know, uh, you know, on that way down the hallway. Mm-hmm. And there's that, for some reason, I still this day, when Chilton shows her the picture mm-hmm. of the woman, the nurse, that supposedly had her tongue bitten off. Is that it? Her jaw was yeah. broken, and yeah. yeah. In my mind, they always show it. Right, they I don't know. show it. I know it's such mm-hmm. an interesting choice too, because there are so many other things that they do show. Yeah, but it's very effective because, like, it somehow plants this idea in your head yeah. without even showing it. I do wonder why he carries that photo around <laughs> too, though. <laughs> I never thought about that. It's just for random when he wants to hit hit on a girl. But yeah. then um, Barney lets her in, which yeah. I which I thought was a fun fact. That same actor played Barney in all the movies. He's the only character who's been in. Yeah, I know he's in Hannibal. I guess he's in Red Dragon. Yeah, yeah apparently. Okay. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm not going to do my color thing this time, <laughs> but I just want to announce uh-huh. that the one of the cool things that happens is as soon as she gets into like the bottom level, where I guess you know, where Barney is, for instance, mm-hmm. knows everything is like suddenly just red. I know it's just like the red oh, light the red behind light. her, but it's just a. Uh, that's just a, such a great choice, I think, like, you know, as far as... It looks like hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to say anything else about colors the rest of the movie. Okay. Although there's a lot of green. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I read that um, Anthony Hopkins wanted to wear all white because he thought it was more intimidating because it makes you think of, like, doctors and dentists. That's interesting. And he thought that that was put people, make people uncomfortable, which after he said that, I did kind of feel that way. Also, I think it's also just because, I mean, he gets blood all over himself and it's white and so it shows up more but so that's the last thing we're gonna talk about color 
Can, I can't promise anything. <laughs> but I, right. I love when she, you know, just, I think it's even a show where he, when the scene where he shows her the picture, it just, it's like saturated with red, even her face. Yeah. And it's just, you know, before that, and this is only like five minutes in the movie, but before that, there's none of that sort of stylistic, you know, and there's really not much like that throughout the movie. You know, it's a pretty realistic in terms of, I don't know, cinematic language, if that makes sense. As far mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot of heightened kind of imagery as far as the, camera and lighting goes right there's obviously a lot of crazy shit <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then i mean the, you just can't beat her going down the hallway and then just that one shot when you come around the corner and he's just standing there just just staring at her okay so i have a another hot take okay my second of the episode <laughs> about <laughs> this scene or i guess more specifically about uh, anthony hopkins performance in this movie okay so are you ready yes <laughs> so when I watched this the other night, I thought that this scene, his performance in this scene was dated. Okay. And I felt immediately bad about that. <laughs> and I wonder what you think. I didn't feel that. Okay. But I think it is because it is so iconic that watching it, it's just kind of like, oh, that's, that's that character. That's how he plays. That's how Anthony Hopkins plays this character. Yeah. And I, I guess... What I, I mean, it's I, hammy for sure. Right. Yeah. And I guess there's surely nothing bad about it. It's a good performance. But I just remember as I sat, as I kind of settled into it, I remember thinking like, oh, no, like this. I hope the whole movie isn't like this, <laughs> like this performance anyway, because it is very exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, more recently, you know, certainly since I last saw it, I've watched all of Hannibal, you know, the, you know, which we're both big fans of. Right. And, the Brian Fuller television show. Right. Which and Maz Mickelson that plays Hannibal Lecter, much younger Hannibal Lecter, which is not really. Well, it's a prequel, right? Um, and it gives a much different completely different type of performance right which is in its own way kind of hammy and exaggerated i suppose <laughs> but definitely more you know modern uh, right well of... there's much more to him too right um i mean hannibal lecter by anthony hopkins is mainly manipulative and evil and you also only get him for the he only was like 18 minutes in the movie or yeah, something. Yeah, which seems impossible. But that's, I, I, I don't know. That's not it. That's not right. But something like that. It's I've very seen small. That, yeah. it's, so, it doesn't feel that way when you watch it. Though, no, it doesn't. It feels just, like he's through it the whole right. movie. But then also when you have Mad Mickelson, who is in three seasons of, of mainly him and Will Graham are the main characters. Yeah. So I get, you get more of him too. So there's more to explore and you get so many different sides of Dynamics. that particular Hannibal where you are actually on his side sometimes. And he's just, he's so slyly funny. And then he just, he cares for Will. Oh, that show is just so good. I love yeah. it so much. So, so as you were worried about, you thought I was going to do a lot of comparing. I'm going to try and keep that out. And then maybe okay. we'll have like a, actually, you're the one who started this, actually. So I should. Preemptively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll have like a, a Hannibal TV show corner. Okay. Where we're kind of talk about the TV show. I guess, you know, what I kept thinking about, especially now, is like, she's like a law clerk <laughs> and she's like, you know, suddenly interviewing basically like this criminal mastermind and she's realizing that she's completely, you know, out of her depth. But the mm-hmm. way she plays it is to pretend that she's not. Right. And she is cagey about not admitting that she's a student. He picks up on it like immediately. Yeah. I think that's kind of funny. Like, you're not real FBI, are you? Because he's <laughs> expiration date. Yeah. Wait, I mean, all that is a bit dramatic, especially the way he looks at the he's staring at her until the last minute and then he looks at it right. and then he looks at it for a second and he's like that's expired so it is i mean they are making it 
they're going above and beyond to make it seem like he's like this evil genius. Yeah. They could have given a little more humanity and might have made it a little more interesting. But, you know, back then, I mean, like when that movie came out, like, that was still kind of a new, I mean, not the evil mastermind thing, but this sort of super genius serial killer you'd never really seen before, as far as I know. Yeah, especially one that's already behind bars, not one that's out right. there to try to tr- track down or anything. She shows him her, her badge and he says, closer, right. closer, please. Yeah, I mean, it's- that's kind of what I mean. And then much less when he does the like, you know, flicking his tongue thing. Like, oh. you know, and it's because it's the first scene and like, you know, that's an iconic scene and it, it used to be chilling. And now I just kind of giggle at it a little bit. I, I, just don't- I, just, I think it's so great, though. It's just I don't know. I just, I just like to enjoy it. Right, and I this barely even a criticism. It's just something I noticed, and I, I wondered if it was something you noticed too. But I think just, that is something that I have definitely heard before, though. Right, um, it's really just that one scene. In the scene, the the kind of follow up scene, which comes back that night after the storage scene, mm-hmm. uh, it's at from then on, it's like perfect to me, like because he's much quieter, kind of more thoughtful. There's none of those sort of histrionics until he <laughs> kills the guards. But, um, but, well, yeah, but I, yeah, I do love the juxtaposition of the, those two scenes. The one when she first comes mm-hmm. and she's very tentative and then the next thing they cut to and she's just sitting down right in front of his yeah. cage talking to him. And what kind of occurs to me as I'm sitting here talking about it is in the first scene, I guess he's kind of putting on a show for her in a yeah, way, just yeah. as much as she is. He's, you know, he's. He's probably thought about what he's going to do. He knows she's coming or someone's coming. Maybe he's even heard as a young female. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he couldn't know too much because Crawford just sent her there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that morning. <laughs> See you later. Um, but, you know, it's definitely a performance. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. You know, he's sort of trying to see how she reacts to what he's doing. And then, of course, when Miggs, his cellmate, does what he does, he's honestly offended. And I think maybe from that point on, he kind of drops his the show a little bit yeah yeah that's a good point because he does then you can tell he definitely does care for her and i mean i mean the scene whenever she runs back to him and he's yelling clarice or and then she runs back and i mean that's just so great right so So she and then he gives her her the little clue yeah which is hilarious but so yeah i've solved that scene i'm not i'm fine with it but either way i mean his performance aside whatever i think about it now that i feel that he's acting I, i like it better but that's still a perfect scene, and mostly for Jodie Foster, I think. Yes, she's, she's so good. And I never really picked up, uh, again, a lot of this is just a symptom of me being younger and not really thinking about these things. But mm-hmm. the class issue is kind of interesting. Like, Even oh. though he has literal lines where he's saying, you are a poor person. <laughs> <laughs> he, called, he calls her poor yeah. white trash. Right. I never really thought about it very much. So I just thought he was just being mean. But being a little bit older and kind of, if you look at her, she wears the same sports jacket throughout the entire movie, mm-hmm. except when she just doesn't have to. She has things over but that suggests she just has one sports coat uh-huh. part of that is because she's a student but part of it is yeah she's kind of poor she has a piece of shit car yeah he's right she is wearing apparently second rate shoes yes. and a shitty sports coat <laughs> and she deserves to be called out you know and quite frankly oh come on <laughs> <laughs> don't, she- don't be coming up on handle like that <laughs> well i also love again oh, there's, there's just no way to keep Comparing it to the TV show. I know. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, that's definitely been, besides Mindhunter, that's been my favorite show the last 10 years since Lost ended. But then also with the Hannibal, the Mad Mickelson character, one of the big overarching things of him is that he doesn't like rude people. And that's the whole, that's how you figure out that he's actually, that's why he's finding these people to kill and eat is because they were rude to him. And so 
they do kind of reference that in I didn't think I didn't remember that, but whenever she says that he wouldn't come after me because he would find that rude. He would consider that rude, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I forgot that that was kind of one of his traits too, because he is kind of uppity and he expects things to be proper. And even though he is rude to her. Yeah. But that's why I like appreciate it's like Barney so much, the guard, because the guard is, you know, the, the, you know, the large black guard, mm-hmm. Frankie Paisan. He's the one that sort of treats them with respect. Maybe not respect, but it's not like openly hostile to them. Right. <laughs> and so like, you know, Hannibal's always like, thank you, Barney. Like they always kind of <laughs> make a point to like, show how pleasant they are to each other. Right. I think they kind of fall up on that more in Hannibal, and maybe that's why I'm the Hannibal the movie, not right. the show. Right, Well, speaking about cannibalism, because we haven't really referenced it yet, I think one of the things that impresses Hannibal uh, is when uh, she's talking about how most killers keep trophies. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I didn't keep a trophy. And she just goes very bluntly, no, you ate yours. And he kind of has this look across his face yes. like, oh. Like, yeah, that's such a good such a good interaction because she all of a sudden gained some confidence because she's like she knows her shit, you know. Yeah. She knows she knows her the background, and so. But also, she, I don't think it was a conscious decision to impress him. I think she just couldn't help but be like sort of yeah, like the Hermione Granger yes. <laughs> type. Yes. But I think you know he probably expected a different answer from her. Like maybe she would tiptoe around what he did, right. and the fact no, that she just yes. throws it back at him, he's like, oh, okay, maybe she's actually worth talking to. Yes. Which again, snob, but yeah, but you know. but they both play it so well, right? So he denies her questionnaire, uh, but because of what Miggs does, which I won't get into because it's so uncouth. <laughs> which I again, I had no clue what that was for I, a yeah, while. I didn't. And then I don't think I, I knew what that was until maybe ten years ago. <laughs> I don't think so. I did either. And then I figured it out, and I was like, oh, I don't want to know again anymore. I, I will just tell you, when I was a kid, I thought it was blood because I think my mom says that's blood. I'm never thinking that's made any sense. <laughs> um, but that was my mom just looking out for me, right? And then at some point I thought, oh, it's snot, <laughs> which in a way is equally disgusting. Well, no, no, it's, it's not, not equally. <laughs> it's still pretty gross. It's pretty gross. And then at some point when I was maybe I don't know, twenty eight, it's like, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, Hannibal is offended, and because so he gives her the clue, and he tells her, you know, look within yourself. Refers her to a Miss Moffat that. Used to be a patient of something like that, some right. bullshit, <laughs> bunch of anagrams and things like that, right. um, which she figures all out, right, pretty quickly. Uh, and then so we get this great scene where she goes to the you yourself storage facility mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a terribly frightening scene, but it's you know, it's, I that scene inside, I think that was, I thought that was pretty creepy. I think that's one of those scenes I've seen it so many times where I'm just looking for all the details and not really mm-hmm. paying attention to the the thing. But one thing that I never really picked up on and it makes me feel stupid is that Hannibal is the one and he says this later it's actually funny that I call him Hannibal because of the show like I think back then when the movie came out people, well, people, people was called Dr. Lecter or something yeah anyway but when she finds uh, what we found out later to be Benjamin Raspell's head the mm-hmm. severed head and then in the back of a limo for some reason and then there's the mannequin with the dress on mm-hmm. I always thought that um, Buffalo Bill did that like set up that presentation but that was dr Lecter that did that and that kind of blew my mind in the night he says that he says i found him very much like i found i found the body already dead and and he says something like and made that presentation i don't know he did that so he set that up as a clue like just for whoever would find it oh about but so but buffalo bill killed him buffalo bill definitely killed him in some form or fashion and he definitely was a patient right, of dr right. Lecter's. okay right or he was like the boyfriend of his patients i forget exactly but he, right. Dr. Lecter knew him. 
We're gonna go back to the TV show. We're just, okay. I, I did. I thought we could do just a corner, but you can't really. We can't. Oh, well, it's fine. Okay. This is kind of referenced in the TV show Hannibal. Hannibal has a patient named Franklin, and that is his the patient that he sees. But then Franklin's good friend could be boyfriend. They don't really say. I think it's supposed to be his boyfriend. Yeah. Well, I don't think. I think that Franklin likes him. Oh right. Well, but yeah. he doesn't reciprocate anyway. But Franklin also has a big crush on Hannibal. Or it wants to be Hannibal's friend. Anyway, but but then the link that to that is that his friend is a serial killer, too. The guy with the piano wires? Yes. Okay. It's funny that Hannibal just has this big serial killer circle of friends. <laughs> yeah, he does. And he and he connects with them and encourages them. He's just, he's a great mentor. Okay, so then, um, so Jodie, finds, Jodie Foster finds the head. She runs back that night. We have the second scene with Hannibal that I referred to, the much which I find to be a much more interestingly acted scene from Anthony Hopkins and the rest of the movie, where um, he observes the fact that she's bleeding, even though it's completely dark and she's covered, and so he smells her blood, which yeah. is creepy. Yeah, a lot of that was a little, a little silly. You wear Evian skin cream. and Right. But, I mean, Hannibal in the TV show is also very perceptive of that kind of stuff. He can tell what perfume you're wearing. And yeah, but I guess what I mean, that's why this scene's better, because this scene always says, like, your cut seal, versus, you know, trying to smell her through the, you know. It's <laughs> right. much more effective. <laughs> And she just realizes, oh, you can smell me. Like, and she's just like, yep. Yeah, just doesn't Moving on. come on. And so now we're going to enter just some landmine territory. So are we going to yeah. go to Buffalo Bill? Well, um, is this also when, is this the scene when they tried the information or is that the, the next time they meet? It's later, but we can kind of, we can blend it because, it, you know. It's all kind of effectively. I mean, one they have scene. like four main right. um, dialogue scenes between the two. Yeah, of them. they he, they start you know providing information to each other. Right. Uh, Quid pro quo, Clarice. Yeah. He wants and, to know about her, and she wants to know. Which about... Which is kind of nice. He just wants to know things about her, yeah. and that's sweet. He need, he just needs something. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, obviously, you know that he he's he gathers his information to manipulate people and stuff. Right, but then but again, it just kind of seems like he just wants to talk. He and... must think she's very interesting. I mean, <laughs> you know, and you know, and again, you know, she's a psychiatrist. Yeah, and he said, I think he says, you know, he's out there and who knows when we'll find his next lady. Or, yeah. And then, um, and this is, it's kind of funny to say he cussed Tom Petty because I can never listen to that song without thinking about this. Scene. I know. That may be the first time I even heard that song, for all I know. I remember just really loving to watch that scene, kind of rocking out to it. <laughs> She's rocking out. Yeah. That's such a great, you know, moment for that character, too, because, like, that's just what people do. You know, you kind of rock out in your car and she does the thing with her lips, you know? <laughs> yeah. And she, like, does the backup vocals and yeah. it's all very sweet. Um, and she's just trying to go home to her cat. To her cat. Ugh. Yeah, but so Brooke Smith plays Catherine Martin. Brooke Smith, most recently, she, you know, I've been watching Grey's Anatomy for the last... 20 years. Uh, almost. About <laughs> well, 16. Really? She, yeah. Brian and I's relationship is about the same length as I've been watching Grey's Anatomy. So who knows which one's going to last longer? I don't know. They keep renewing <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. Brooke Smith had a great run on Grey's Anatomy. And it took a while. Like, at first, I was like, oh, I'm my. Saying, is she in a well? <laughs> well, at first, it, it took a while to get over that. Yeah. Um, I don't get, think I'd recognize her now. I'm going to look her up. And so this is where, and so we'll talk about this later when I do the true crime, but there's obviously quite a few serial killers that they kind of use to base Buffalo Bill on. And in this scene, it's very much Ted Bundy. Right, because um, the so cast? He's got the cast, okay, and, yeah. and this is kind of, and this also kind of goes back, you know, if you guys want to go back, if you haven't listened to our Vanishing episode or Spoilers, right, which yeah. is... The kind of the same thing. Yeah, I don't um, think I ever knew that before recently watching those things. The Ted Bundy? Yeah, I don't think I knew that it was the inspiration. Yeah, so he's one of them. When she gets in the van and he, just when he positions himself around her, it still like gives me shivers because it's like, don't 
don't be in there. I know. And um, then also I just had this image of just like she thinks she just she's about to get out and just go up into her apartment. Yeah. I guess because we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. I was just trying to imagine like a different scenario where she just gets out of the van and goes up to her cat with her groceries. Yeah, but she gets back to the cat at some point. It's fine. And she's got a dog now. Yeah, so they'll be friends. Friends forever. She's not, she'll be scarred. Everything's good. No, everything's fine. Um, she's she's great. Me and my brother, is, this is probably our most quoted movie of all time. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, and particularly uh, the line, you know, uh, say you're about a size 14. <laughs> I don't know why, but you think that was hysterical. Why was that hysterical? I don't know. It's just so creepy. And most of the, I guess we quote these lines because we were probably just scared of him. But, I mean, we did think his dialogue in particular, I mean, his inflections are pretty funny, you know. Well, I mean, it's, it's. You're saying you're about I don't, yeah, I think when you watch it now, though. It's more creepy. Do you think that? Like maybe when you were a kid, you didn't quite get. I always thought it was creepy. At okay. the same time, those lines could not be ignored. <laughs> okay. And the way he said them. And with my brother. I mean, it's just one of those things we would do. Like to this day, you know, once you're a great big fat person. You know, just, <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he is so good. All right. So that's a good kind of spot. So so we know he gets she gets taken and then she's down in the well. All right. So we get the shot through the house, which is. I mean, it's shot great. It's all um, a lot of those are one takes through his house. That house see. makes no sense, by the way. I love that house. <laughs> that house just came up for sale. Remember last year? Oh, really? But what is happening in the ba- what So there's a, just a huge basement, and I like, know it's like there's another like room, a, and there's a basement. I would love that. But is it like a, is it? It feels like it's in a, like a circle around a well. I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and there's like more doors coming off. Right. Into it's other like, rooms. What did Miss Litman do? Like. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's go back to her. Because <laughs> he, he just moved in there. So he, I, no wonder. He's like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this house has a what? It's got a well? You can chase women around for hours in here. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you can just talk about Buffalo Bill in general. Sure. And I guess we can kind of get into the issues right. of it. Right. So, so Ted Levine plays uh, Buffalo Bill or Jame Gunn. Jame Gum. Jame Gum. That's yeah. not a name. It's, it's so not, creepy. Yeah. I guess this is supposed to be androgynous. Like, not Jamie, not James. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's the idea. Maybe. Which kind of feeds into, you know, the whole thing. So, I would this. say that, you know, today this movie is seen as, you know, transphobic. Right. Um, which is, you know, I guess this is clearly what we're about to talk about. Right. But even at that time, in 1991, it was seen as hugely homophobic, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I mean, transphobia didn't quite... Wasn't probably a conversation yet. It was kind of all lumped together. Right. Um, he was just seen as a gay killer. Mm-hmm. And it was very problematic. It is still very problematic. Because have you ever seen that great movie, uh, The Silly Louis Closet? I don't think so. It's a documentary. Mm-hmm. And it came out maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just about the history of uh, sort of gay villains in movies. Mm-hmm. And how um, gays were sort of othered. And the only time they could really be in movies is if, is, is if they were like serial killers or the robbers or sort of the lisping villain even if they weren't like overtly gay that was always kind of implied and it sort of made them slightly more sinister somehow mm-hmm. oh, this is a great example of uh, some James Bond movie I've never even seen Diamonds Are Forever where it's like two gay villains apparently and the whole their whole villainy is basically predicated on them being gay um, that's crazy yeah and so and, and it goes all the way back to like say the 40s and the thir- I mean much earlier and, and you know it's, it's a great movie and it kind of Actually, like, I'm sure it talks about Silence of the Lambs. I just don't quite remember it. Mm-hmm. All that's to say, when the, when the movie came out, it was a problem for gay people. It was registered pretty quickly. Even the book was, too, I think. Okay. Although, you know, 
Jonathan Dim and the writer, they did feel dealt. They were very taken aback by the what they, the sort of accusations of homophobia because mm-hmm. they were, you know, that's not really in their lives. And so when they did Philadelphia the next year, maybe two years later, that was kind of a weird apology of sorts. That's they interesting. openly say this, mm-hmm. uh, if you because uh, I love Philadelphia too. Mm-hmm. Um, it uses a lot of the same cast, a lot of the same music, music vibes anyway. Mm-hmm. Same shots, just weird close ups of people's faces. That's kind of unsettling. It's weird, almost like a sister or brother to the Sounds of Lambs. They're totally about different things, right? But in a cultural conversation about gays in the early nineties, yeah, they can't be. They're like bookends. It's really interesting if you that study that. Really, that really is an interesting thought. Um, so, Sounds of Lambs was kind of rightly, um, there's a lot of concern about it. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward a day, and the concern is less about homophobia per se, and it's specifically transphobia. Right. Which is, so I've said all that. What, what is your take on it? Because <laughs> I have a take too, obviously. Okay. Well, I, I don't think no matter, no matter how they try to rationalize it or say it was 91 or we didn't understand these issues or, it's still it's still a negative thing towards trans people. I mean, there are trying to say, look how crazy this guy is. He wants to be a girl. And that is part of it. But so I read some, like, even like Ted Levine, he said that he in no way saw the character as being transgender. He saw it more as a homophobic heterosexual man, actually, who was trying to try on a different persona and I think Hannibal Lecter even says at one point he now he's trying to be a woman, but he may have tried over other things. So he's they're trying to say that it's not that he wants to be a woman in particular, that he wants to be more like androgynous. Like he's thinking more about like David Bowie or he wants to take the the femininity from these women he's murdering and he wants it to be transferred to him. But that's still hard to say that that doesn't represent right. things. I can imagine no matter how sophisticated the writers and the director thought they were approaching material, if you were a, a gay per- or especially a trans person in 91 or I guess any year and you saw this movie, it couldn't make you feel <laughs> very no. good. Because you have no – what people understand is like you have no other visibility out there. Right, there's no, there's no um, Laverne Cox on yeah. Orange Is the New Black. Maybe, maybe Miss Doubtfire would be your only other <laughs> example, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, and it's also you just can't. I mean, I guess at this, at this time again, he thinks. I'm sure Jonathan Demi and the writers, they're like, wow, look what we did for this female character. Look what we're doing. We're yeah. empowering this female character. We're doing all this, and all that is just anything that's for queer people is just. They don't even understand it yet, which, right. again, that's part of the times. But yeah. I think um, and actually I, I know one of the writers, someone involved in that movie was gay. I've, been, I've read interviews with them. I think their intentions, I think they were conscious that this may be a problem. And they tried to because I think the book had none of this, some of the fixation the movie had, actually. Mm-hmm. And the, so there's this line and I read where the either the screenwriter, Jonathan Dem, kind of the one in the book, but where Hannibal says, you know, when he's explaining to um, Jodie Foster about Jam Gum and because she's like, so he's a transvestite, which even that's the wrong word, right? Yeah, uh, but was not really ninety one. No, I mean, one yeah, goes, well, I mean, she says transvestite, which yeah, that, that's something really different. Yeah. and then she he does say transsexual. He is that says the word transsexual, he uses? Yeah. and that would be at least accurate, although that word itself is just outdated now. But even for oh, it's, yeah, so read the line because it's probably the same line I have yeah, written down. I think it is. So he says. Um, he calls him Billy. Right. Um, I forget. Oh, Bill full of Bill. <laughs> so he says he's not a true transsexual. 
Uh, Billy hates his own mm-hmm. identity, and he thinks that makes him a transsexual. But Billy's pathology is much more dangerous. So I th- Well, actually, he says um, his pathology is a thousand times more savage and more terrifying. Yeah. So even when you read it like that, it's yeah. like, so you're saying like... There's so- some savagery. <laughs> yeah. There's something terrifying in yeah. there, you know? So... I think we're saying the same thing. There is an intent to acknowledge that and say, like, no, we're not yes, saying Yes, they tried, yeah. but... But it, the point is, like, people see that and having no other representation and not even knowing what a transsexual is. I mean, I, I guess I just remember, for me, when I was a kid, I, didn't, I never I never thought about that as being transsexual person. I'm not saying I'm some sophisticated 11-year-old. <laughs> I just didn't think about it that way. I thought he's a serial killer and he's crazy and he's yeah, dressing and, up in women's but suits. Then, yeah, so, but what do you associate that with? You you haven't seen, like, I remember when I saw it when I was younger, you didn't, I didn't even know that there was actual trans people. I didn't understand that. I think I probably knew, well, that's a good point. I don't, I don't know if I did, but yeah. I remember thinking like, oh, that must make him crazy. And so when you see it like that, and that's how, you know, so, I mean, there's just no way to, I I mean, I'm glad Jonathan Demme apologized and and realized that. Right. Um, But then also, I mean, they say that he's not a transsexual, but then he's like, but he's probably applied to these only three places. Think about that, too. Three places in the whole country that will do sexual reassignment surgery. So clearly it's not just a phase. He's not just, he, he didn't try to be a tiger and then he tried to be a bird, and now he's no, trying to be a woman. I mean, that's not that's what they're trying to say, but it's right. I think he's just saying like he does think he's a transsexual. He just is not a. He thinks that he is because for the wrong reasons. He is he has the issues with his identity, but not of the reasons true transsexuals do. Right it has nothing to do with his biology. It has to do with his uh, right something else. Yeah, and, and again, brain. I guess you could break that down as much as you want, but still, it's right. problematic. Like, I, I guess I just remember watching that with my best friend's older brother, who I adored and thought was the coolest person ever. I remember him just saying, like, that's a sick puppy. And, and you know, in the scene where he's, like, right. doing the dance. And that's what you say. Yeah. And I, I guess I kind of worry that that well, gets transposed to just trans, transgender people, people gender. period. Because, again, like you said, like, let's say it's a young transgender person who, again, in 1991, has no – really doesn't have a lot right. of options. Um, and they see him, you know, tuck his – Right. Junk and, you know, dance in front of and maybe they're doing that same thing, but they're not they're not psycho serial killers. They're just regular people. Yeah, well, he is wearing like <laughs> he is wearing skin. Right. So they're not doing the same thing. <laughs> no. But I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, identifying yourself as yeah. a, you know, when you're trying to figure out how, where you fit in. And, and that's also saying, I mean, you don't want to get too much into it, but it's, you know, that doesn't take into account the fluidity of gender and. And that sex and gender are different things. And, and there's just so much that right. they wouldn't have even known at that point. Even today, where things are much more visible. And yes, there's children who are being accepted in their schools and middle school. And that's wonderful. And there's all these great things that are happening. But still, the murder rate of, um, I mean, LGBT people in general, but trans women is half of um, LGBT people that are murdered are trans women, especially women of color. And... So it's just it's hard to disassociate right. the violence that they have to go through. And then you see this and you can't help but kind of think of. I guess just because I can kind of sort of distinguish what they were trying to do. I certainly make no I don't think you can really excuse any of it, I guess, really. Right. In a way, I'm glad it's there because it's so interesting to unpack and talk about. And <laughs> I've had 20 years to think about this stuff. And, uh, and as a gay person, I was never offended by any of it for whatever reason. I was mm-hmm. conscious of it. I think I was just too young. 
if I was in my 20s when this came out or and just knew about it, I probably would be kind of upset. But by the time I was smart enough to think about those things, the, the Philadelphia Blu-ray <laughs> or mm-hmm. DVD has a great, like, I don't know, documentary or something. I remember, you know, one of the little special features that you can't get anymore because no one has Blu-rays or DVDs because <laughs> Netflix. Um, and it goes through all of that. It's very interesting. Oh, um, okay. I haven't seen it in years, but a lot of my knowledge of this is coming from <laughs> that. Okay, so we've introduced Buffalo Bill. We understand. Okay, he's he's over here. And so then we're moving on with our story. And so they find another body. The latest, the latest victim, yeah. Yeah, and Crawford takes Jodie Foster with him. Yeah, a student. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and this is huge. So you're kind of wondering, like, okay, so what is Crawford's motivation here? I think I think it's just part of he knows he has like bait for Lecter. It's kind of starting to work, and he just needs to keep her involved by all means possible. Yeah, and she also seems to be making. I mean, she's proving herself. Right. She figured out all these clues. She found the yourself. She found the severed head. You know, she's putting these pieces together. So he's probably like, "This is work." Yeah, like you said, "This is working." Let's just keep on with it. Yeah, but I I, I never really recognized when I was younger how huge a deal this is for her. Like just as like on a, not. As a career thing, like, oh, I, you know, I got an assignment, like, yeah. whereas before, just, you know, just part of the movie. Of course she's going. No, this is like a, you know, she's probably getting promotion and all her, all her colleagues must be so jealous. Like, you get to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> especially being a woman, too. Yeah. And again, she seems so very young. Uh, <laughs> so they go to this funeral parlor in, uh, was it like Virginia? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of this movie's in the South. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Like, there's Memphis. There's... Mm-hmm. Wherever this is, yeah. Well, I wonder if Thomas Harris is he from the South? Because in yeah, I yeah, think because he's from Mississippi. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Because you know a lot of the the murders in Red Dragon are in like Atlanta, so that might be why. But so they get to the funeral parlor. She has another flashback to her dead dad. Yeah. There's another one of those creepy scenes where it's you know Jonathan Dim loves to just shoot people right down the middle, right in their face. Yeah. <laughs> it's always very unsettling. Uh, but also she's being looked at again by all the guys in the room. There's so many, though. Yeah. There's so many. If this movie came out today, there'd be a lot of conversations about the male gaze. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that phrase existed back then. Um, we, I guess we don't have time to unpack that. Maybe we already <laughs> have. But but yeah, there was a lot of male just gaze. shots of yeah. them all looking at her. Some of them even looking her up and down. Yeah. Which again, what do you, do you see how giant those sweaters were she was wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, They're like, those second rate shoes. What are they looking at? <laughs> but, but also, you know, she's like 12 and, you know. It's like, what is she doing here? I mean, yeah, some of yeah. it is less that she's a woman, but and then just to rub salt in it, he says, "Hey guys, this is a sex crime. We shouldn't talk about it with a lady behind us, right. or whatever he says." And, and she, she is livid. She calls him out on it later. Yeah, which I love very sweetly, but still, she she lets it, him. It matters, sir. It matters, sir. <laughs> I tried to do her southern accent. I love her little accent. Yeah, I did. You notice though? Um, I don't think I've ever noticed this before, but in the scene where she first meets Lecter. I don't think she, I think she tries to hide a little bit. I think he even mentions that accent that you try to hide so desperately. Yes. I don't think I've ever noticed that because the rest of the movie, it's full on display. Right. But I think if you watch that first scene with just with Lecter, she's trying to sort of downplay a little bit. Right. Until he just says you're white trash. <laughs> <laughs> I think, in, you know, I think in Hannibal in the second movie, I think he actually calls her trailer bait. Trailer bait? <laughs> no, he calls her tornado bait. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, God, he is, you know. Just shade. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so um, this is now one of those scenes where um, I just remember thinking, she is such a smart lady. I just, because <laughs> uh, she's so good when she's doing, what do you call that? The death inspection? Autopsy? It's not an autopsy, really. Uh, I guess it kind of is. A death inspection? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not 
It's an, it's an inspection of the body, I guess, is the yes. best. I'm not sure what the procedural word for it is. But that's when they, like, cut open the... I love that scene where she's, you know, her female knowledge comes into play for these guys. You know, they're, again, he's like, what do you see? And she goes, well, she has... Her ears are pierced three times, so mm-hmm. she's not local. Yeah, and she has glitter nail polish. Which you... Did you notice that later you see that on the wall? Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so she mentions that she has glitter nail polish, and then later, when Catherine's in the I oh, I, I know I've seen the fingernail. I never noticed it was glitter nail yeah. polish. But to this day, anytime I see someone with <laughs> their ears pierced several times, I think <laughs> I think she's not local. She's not local. <laughs> she's not country. Yeah. Oh, uh, and that was an interesting scene. They they shoot it with uh, Jodie Foster's back to the body. They uh, all the guys are like, and they want to pull the sheet back, yeah. and then you know she kind of turns around, and you think that she's gonna be like, too, but she immediately is drawn to it. And well, she she, kinda, she first goes, she goes, Bill, yeah, which is you know, she immediately she she turns around and she's just like she sucked in and she starts investigating yeah. and she's immediately she takes a beat just to sort of be mm-hmm. human and then she sort of and then you think well they're not gonna show the body good and then they're like. Bam, there it is. Right, yeah. Which is pretty scary. And so you can see where he's cut. Yeah, which I don't understand sewing patterns at all. But I understand it's a sewing thing because they tell me it is. But <laughs> right. I don't know what the diamond, like why that pattern? Like what does that mean? It just. Um. Well, in that particular dress, that looked like that was where you would take it in, like on the waist. But I don't, I'm uh, not exactly sure why that was recognized as, but okay. maybe she just put it together in her head because she saw the the pattern and then that triggered she's like oh he's cutting off pieces of oh, their skin okay, yeah. to put to make a person suit okay yeah maybe that makes more sense um but so yeah so what information and i guess next we have another probably that's one we have one of the main scenes between lecter and trady foster uh the quid pro quo i think is one that actually comes in play okay because uh i think that's when he says you know so are these women roomy <laughs> and that, that scene i love just watching jody foster play that because it's not like she like gasped like how did you know that but she just kind of there's just a beat where she yes. just like takes that in and you kind of see it register like well okay and then she's like yes and then just like yeah she had, kind of does that same thing whenever he asked um if she's if her bleeding has stopped yeah. she kind of is like what the fuck but instead she just goes oh it's just a scratch anyway moving on she doesn't want to let him know right that he but it's clearly. sort of the perfect detail that lets her know that, okay, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Somehow, I don't know how, but he's on to something. I need to pay attention. He's not just yeah leading me on. Yeah. Um, and then so I guess this is whenever he wants just just to know about her. Yeah. And then she'll give him a little more information. She He wants the case file and all this stuff. I mean, that, that, that that's still pretty great when she tells the story of the, the screaming and the yeah. way he describes it. How they don't call it... They never say the silence of the lambs. That's just... Yeah, always wait for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. When he says the screaming of the lambs, and then he says, have the lambs stop screaming. You're, all that is... To, you're inferring that the silence of the lambs yeah. is... Wouldn't it be funny if it was just Anthony Hopkins not knowing the title of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> the screaming of the lambs, right, Jonathan? L- line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all that. And then, I mean, the title of the movie being the silence of the lambs, which is, which is what he says she will have if she catches the killer i mean it's just it's also good so well thought out yeah mm-hmm. um maybe around this time she offers him this fake deal to go to some island right i do think i guess stepping back it is nice that he's trying to like 
learn about her, but it is kind of funny that it always assumes the worst. You know, like she's like, I was at a ranch. She's like, were you sodomized? It's <laughs> like, um, no, I just lived at a ranch. You know, uh, but he's, you know, he's definitely just a monster at some point. So they make this deal. FBI or the DA or somebody finds out about it. They get pissed, and long and short of it is the senator, uh, the mother of the you know the new victim. Mm-hmm basically gets Clarice kicked off the case and gets Lecter transferred to Memphis so they can meet and he can talk to her directly about what he knows about Buffalo Bill. Right. But of course, then we have that great scene where he shows up in Memphis and he has the iconic mask on, uh-huh. <laughs> which I, I guess I can't really think that's, you know, scary anymore because it's just, you know, it's like looking at the Michael Myers mask, but that's such an effective, cool mask. Well, like, yeah, and I love, but I loved how in the TV show Hannibal, they use this the same sort of um, looking mask. I love that scene though between him and the senator. It's a lot of fun. He's kind of you know saucy to her. <laughs> this is another one of the scenes where it's a little bit I think maybe overplayed. You know, love the suit, that type of thing. <laughs> yes. Kind of villainy, but I let it slide because it's just a lot of fun. Well, um, and then also whenever he's talking about her nipples and yeah, <laughs> and at first she's like thinking maybe this is going to help, and he's just fucking with her, but right. Uh, I, I, that's one of the scenes I remember when I was a kid. Like, what did that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but all this is to, you know, get us to the that great scene in the Shelby County. It's Memphis, so I call it the Shelby County Jail. Yeah, yeah. You know, where Hannibal is, you know, set up in his nice little cell. <laughs> what What is that? Like a bear cage? Is, yeah, it's like, yeah, I think so. In, right. the middle of, in the middle of apparently like a auditorium or something. Yeah, it looks like a museum or something. Yeah, it's weird. Um, they have like an entire SWAT team. Four million cops, but there's then just two in the room. Yeah, well, I figure once you get in there, like, you know, what's he going to do? I don't know. <laughs> or they were wrong. Uh, so, Jodie Foster, I mean, Clarice shows up. Now, and now she's truly not, now supposed, she's not, supposed, to, to not supposed to be there. Yeah. No, she's still wearing that goddamn sports coat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she's got stuff over it, so it's not quite as obvious. And uh, I like how Hannibal's not really mad at her. He's just kind of amused, like, you know, about the whole, yeah. you, know, you know, Plum Island or whatever it is, you know. Because she has deceived him, now he has less reason to talk to her. So it's kind of interesting. Like he can actually leverage that. And now he really wants just to hear about her. Yeah. Finish her story. Yeah. And she's like, no, I, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, the lambs. But because, you know, she's, you know, screwed him in a way, he, yeah. he's kind of, he has the sort of right to, to do that. Mm-hmm. So she finishes her, her lamb story. <laughs> Uh, which it was is very so heavy. Fa- yeah. So heavy. So heavy. Won't, won't get into it because, you know, it is what it is. But she's expertly acted, of course, yeah. by both of them. Again, those close-up shots right mm-hmm. in the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's one of those scenes where, like, you kind of wonder, like, well, how would Michelle Pfeiffer play that? Can you imagine a close-up of her face when, I, I mean, Jodie Foster looks so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine Michelle, I don't know, nothing is Michelle Pfeiffer. Just No, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is great, but she's just, she is just, she's so striking. Yeah. Different movie. Just different movie. Yeah. But so also, you know, this is when Hannibal, I think, kind of gives, you know. Oh, and Gene Hackman was originally going to play Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. I can't say that would have been a bad choice, actually. That would be interesting. But yeah, so I think in this scene is when Hannibal gives some of the most useful information, even though under the guise of being the least helpful. You know, like he gives a whole line of rhetorical questions like, you know, what does he do, this man you see? Which I love that line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they used to. Even, I think they even had that in the trailer. Just him saying, "What does he do? With this man you see." He's mm. like, "What's this movie about?" <laughs> um, he covets what he sees every day, right? And so all this information, you know, eventually gets to her, and that's how she finds. She realizes, like, oh, like Buffalo Bill knew 
this person. The first person. Yeah. Yeah. And which leads her to Ohio. So all that's kind of there. And then, of course, there's that, that great line after, you know, uh, when she's being whisked away because she's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just, you know, calmly stands up and is watching her go. And he said, you know, brave clearly, you will let me know when the lamb stops screaming. It's like, <laughs> it's, you know, goosebumps. I know. Um, and so who comes in is Dr. Chilton. I guess since we're not doing our, we're just kind of putting our Hannibal TV show stuff in there. I thought <laughs> I still not going to be Hannibal Corner. <laughs> I, I think it's just going to be um, Hannibal mixed in with the movie. I don't know what you call that. Because one of my favorite characters on the TV show Hannibal is Dr. Chilton, who's played by um, Raul Esparza. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. He plays it very similar to um, Anthony Heald, who plays Dr. Chilton in this. Yeah. He's he's slimy. He's he's a little creepy. He's he's the nemesis of of Hannibal. They even this is before Hannibal. Hannibal's still just uh, in the TV show. I mean, Hannibal is still just a psychiatrist. He's not a patient yet, but they still have this right. And that goes on and on through the very end. Um, Hannibal never lets him off the hook. Messes with him the whole time. But he is so good at Dr. Chilton. He's so funny. I, I think in this movie though, uh, Chilton is so proud in that scene when he introduces Hannibal to the senator. He's like Hannibal Lecter, and he's like <laughs> he's like beaming, like you know, like you know. Yeah, which is very much how Raul played it, too, yes. which I just loved. It's such a great character. So how does Hannibal get out? Even with Chris Isaac watching over things, how does he get out? I don't know. In the most brilliant escape scene ever put on film, yes. I think. Uh, this is another one of the things I remember, for some reason, always my mom again. Because remember when this whole scene started, she was, Chris, pay attention. Watch this. And the whole, like, the whole scene. And oh, then, my gosh. That's awesome. Like, she was so proud of the whole thing. Like, you know, like she had written it or something. Right. But, but it, it is so clever. And, and every time, uh, it is still very shocking when he handcuffs the guy. Yes. And just, you know, handcuffs him to the bar. You know, it's the way it's filmed. It's just, you know, because the music is playing and... And you're just like, and that guy immediately is like, oh, shit, this yeah. is, there's just no way I'm getting out of this. And that makes it even more scary. And then when, he, you know, of course, the way he beats them with the, the crow the, or the, what do you call it, the baton. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of doing that breathing. And Hannibal, you know, Anthony Hopkins is just having like the best time. <laughs> he's hamming it up. Hamming it up. But I don't know. What do you want to, what, what do you want to say about it? Because I could talk all day about that scene. but As I re- I remembered it differently. I think because we were talking about um, in Midsummer, and we were talking about Hannibal, the TV show, how they do that. They cut the wings out. Mm-hmm. And that's how I remembered them, him hanging him up. But it's just a flag behind him. Right. Yeah. I can't remember being confused when you said that. And I just sort of took it. Well, maybe. But yeah, you're right. It's... They hang him up. And he's got. He looks like he has wings, but it's just the fl- the whatever that banner type thing right. is. There's a lot of American flags littered throughout the movie. I don't know what to do with that. Hmm. I remember Roger Ebert picking up, even like the last scene after the, after she shoots out the window. Mm-hmm. There's a flag and the. It's weird. I don't know what. And there's flags all throughout the oh, storage. Yeah, like a little flag. The flag that covers his head. I think. I don't know. It's, maybe there. Maybe our listeners can figure that out for us. Interesting. Talking about violence in America? Maybe, yeah. It's very interesting. To kind of remind you, keep telling you, hey, this is happening in your back door. Yeah. Um, So he's uh, dispatched the guards, you know, ready when you are, Pimbley. Yes. The viewer thinks that both the guards are still there and that Pimbley or Pimbley, whatever his name is, is just on the floor and he's been cut up with his face somehow. When I watch it, it looks like Anthony Hopkins to me. I know that. I know, it does. I think this is my brain. I think it's probably just the actor, the other actor. I don't think it's really Anthony Hopkins. Oh, right, there. right, with just the, the makeup on yeah. and to make it look like. I would love to know. It'd be really interesting if that is Anthony Hopkins. Because it does look, I thought the same thing, but maybe you're just projecting because I, you know. You've seen it, yeah. Yeah. I think so. If I really think about it, I see like a different actor. I, we, I've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that scene when they uh, the SWAT team burst in 
Now, now that whole scene reminds me a lot of Seven or David Fincher. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like, I, like just how it's dark and they bust in and everything's kind of happening all at once. Um, and then there's like these dramatic shots and it's so good. Yeah, I love the way they introduce uh, the guy in the cage. You know, you first see it through the tint the window, the sort of, uh, what do you call that? Yes, broken yeah, glass that one. was one of, so there's a, that one, I thought later we could de- decide, if we can decide what our favorite Anthony Hopkins quote is. And what our favorite shot is, because one of them is when they they come around and they come, you can see it hanging through yeah. the glass. Because you're they thinking kinda, like, what is that? That yeah. can't be good. Like you know, knowing what it is, of course, you just. But it's just so creepy knowing something's in there. Yeah. And then I guess it kind of is even shaped maybe like the moth. I'm not really sure about that. I just remember that that was probably one of the things when I was a kid that just scared me more than anything when it, his stomach is hanging open. I don't yeah. think I'd ever seen guts before. Like <laughs> yeah. I like I took a way to not watch movies that. I would ask people, like, does this movie have guts in it? I don't want to see guts. <laughs> yeah, because I would have my friends say, you know, it shoots people's guts. And I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> um, but this is the first time I'd seen that. And I think I was like, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> they kind of displays the body, but nothing like later movies and then eventually the TV show Hannibal, yeah, which does really gets of, into the... Yeah, it, it reminds me of Hannibal. But, but they take that to a whole other level. Sure. But, I mean, he did, you know, he put the spotlights and rearrange them and put them... I was wondering how much work that would take to, to change all their clothes. He spent some time in there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah it's kind of funny, but... You know, nobody, I, there's nobody else. Everybody else is just on the ground level, but, you know... Those are the questions we're not supposed well, to I, ask. But I, I, I He's did, professional. Yes. It, it was very scary when... So, you talked about the young girl who's the part of the SWAT team. Yeah. And she sees the elevator start moving because you're. I guess you're supposed to radio whenever you move anywhere, you know. So nobody said they were coming down the elevator or going up the elevator, and that just that's still a very scary scene. They are all like shit, and they're waiting for the elevator. They run up and they're running for the elevator to open, and nothing's there. And they find Hannibal himself. Well, not Hannibal. A guy dressed like Hannibal in the elevator pops down. I guess they realize it's the guard. The next thing we see is. What we think is the guard in the hospital, and he sits up, Kristen. Yeah, in the ambulance. Yeah, in the ambulance, not yes. the hospital. You're right. And my, I remember that. I think that was at that point. My mom was like, "Watch this, watch this." She's like, "In my back, whatever." <laughs> and he, I'm still like, "What?" You know, like, you know, he's fine, I guess. But then he, you know, even last night when he early the night when he rips his mask off, I, I mean, I just I started clapping. I just, <laughs> you know, all by myself in the room, just clapping. It's oh such, my it's so gosh. well done. And then you cut to. Ardelia running down the hallway. It's just so well done. Oh, yeah. She immediately is thinking, Clarice, I got to go tell Clarice because she's going to be in danger. Yeah, and then they're in the, like the steam room. What? Is, it's kind of weird. She's in a robe. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they're just in her she, dorm yeah, or something. Yeah. Her um, FBI dorm. So one of the best serial killers in the Hannibal TV show is Abel Gideon, played by Eddie Azar. Oh, right. Yeah. He's so good. He's wonderfully funny, too. That's what's so good about that show. There's so much dark humor. When he escapes, it's also in an ambulance. I don't know if you remember that. He pretends that he's I kind of uh, remember hurt. All right. So Hannibal is free. Yeah. Clarice is... I mean, she seems pretty confident he's not going to come after her. Yeah, that would be rude, like she said. <laughs> yes. But now she's armed with the things she needs to know to go find James Gum because yes. Hannibal has told her. So she's, he's left his helpful notes in her case file, which yes. she got back when he did that creepy thing with his finger. <laughs> said something about, don't these body patterns look desperately random. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so there's a, also another great scene when Crawford calls her from the airplane. She just feels useless because he's like, no, we got it. We're good. And we'll make sure you get credit. And she just kind of like, okay. He hangs up on her. Yeah, but he also tells her, I, you know, but he gives her, I see, I see they see differently oh. because he, he's including her because he says, I need you. We can't just get him for kidnapping. If we arrest him right now, all we have is kidnapping. We need to have him for murder. 
So you stay on the ground and you find you keep investigating where you are in Ohio. And oh, so you okay. Can, and so that's why she's she's not being useless at all. She's oh, I felt like she kind of felt like, well, I'll be right there. And he was like, no, 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 you stay there. And then he kind of hung up on I her. I think there's a little. Well, he they get disconnected. Okay. Uh, I think there's a little bit of that, but I always saw it as like you know, he still needs her on the ground to. She just doesn't need her there. I okay. never really, I never took that. Maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know, but um, um, yeah, but she does great investigating. Yeah, I love the girl who she interviews at the the, the little diner. Store. Yeah, she looks really familiar. She does. Yeah. I think she kind of looks like Parker Posey. I think that yeah, might be it. Yeah, maybe. And she's like the FBI. That must be fun, or whatever she says. Yeah. And then she goes to um, Frederica Bimble's house, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, the you know the woman that died. Uh, and the thing that always bothered me, she finds the, you know, that music box of the photos of the mm-hmm. sort of new. And I always kind of wonder, are those? I don't think that she actually had a relationship with James Gum of Buffalo Bill. I think that he just, and this is one of the things that I'm wondering, like he somehow saw her because he got that house from Miss Lipman, and she used to help out Miss Lipman with sewing. Maybe they did know each other though. Maybe so, but if they did know each other, like were those photos for him? But he's gay. I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't, I'm not, but is he gay? True. Oh, yeah. because they say he he dated this guy. I think he's supposed to be bi. Maybe. I, I guess I just wonder if that's more explained in the book. Like, what exactly is the connection? Because or is it maybe just showing that she had secrets? Yeah, or I, that- I kind of thought, like, because Jodie Foster, again, love it. She she knows to pull back that thing in the mm-hmm. – because she probably did that, too. Right. Such a girl, of course. <laughs> uh, and so it could be that, yeah, she just has things like this for whoever, you know, Uh but um, it does bug me that she leaves the photos out for her dad to find. I know. <laughs> I thought about that too. I was like, either take them or put them back, yeah. Jody. Maybe there's a deleted scene where she like puts it back and tapes <laughs> it up and says, "Your daughter's fine." <laughs> um. Uh, uh, so then they he they finally he she gets the address and she goes to Miss Lippman's house. And it was really interesting. I was reading another interview with Ted Levine, and he said that the I guess the crew was scouting out places, and they told him that they found this place. This is a quote from him. He said. That they said, we found this really awful, godforsaken coal mining town on the Ohio River. And I said, Belair, Ohio? And they were like, yeah. He grew up in Belair. And oh the God. house that they used for Gum's house was next door to the house of his girlfriend when he was in, like, third grade. That is insane. Which is still, Wait, like... he had a girlfriend in third grade? Awesome. Well, I, like, his girlfriend, like, yeah. you know. Um, which still, I mean, that's a kind of a, you know, the girl you liked in third grade. Right. That's still too close, you know. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, and so he had a read through, and he said that he was um, really disturbed having I'll to go bet. back. Yeah, but so that house is kind of iconic, and again, like we had said, it went up for sale. Um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, um, a year or two ago, I think I, I thought I sent you the link, and I was like, "Let's buy this." Oh. <laughs> no, maybe that was Amy. I think I said, "Amy, you want to go in and buy this house together?" Especially if it's got all those rooms downstairs. <laughs> so all this uh, investigative scene with Clarice is interspersed with. Uh, Buffalo Bill doing the famous uh, dance scene, which uh-huh. we kind of talked about. Yeah, we won't talk yeah. about it. I will say when I was a kid, confused. Yes. <laughs> what really creeped me out, I remember, was just the idea of, like, just the fact that he's wearing part of the woman's suit. Like, I understand part of his leggings. Or the... <gasps> no. That's what I've always thought. Oh. I, don't, I don't know. Well, yeah, he's was, he was been working on it. Yeah. And also another scene that I think I kind of um, blocked out was when, when Jodie Foster gets into the house. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't think I... I think I kind of blocked that out, that yeah. that was actually – he's got a good portion done. Right, yeah. So I think he's – and there's probably several, and which is creepy. But So when I first saw that, I just remember my mom having explained all that to me, and <laughs> which – I wonder if this is the same year I had this sex talk. I'm really curious about that. Hmm. 
She made my dad send me and my brother down do the sex talk. Oh, so why didn't he understand what Mix was throwing? This because I mean, I'm wondering this. Well, she didn't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I want to talk about the um, the dance scene is mostly because of what else is going on with um, Catherine. Right. Which is that great scene where she's trying to. Uh, rope the dog mm-hmm. precious mm-hmm. <laughs> with the bucket which is very resourceful i think yeah. and she's like god damn it and she's so mean and she's yes. so angry and, yes and i love it when she i mean I, I feel bad for the dog but when she catches it and she you know uses that against buffalo bill you're kind of like yeah you go girl yeah and uh you know it's so creepy though when he grabs the gun and he's like you know, don't you hurt my dog and she's like you know don't we make your it's like the tension of that scene and then the doorbell rings yes I mean, that's, and not just a normal doorbell. It's like a large doorbell with a red, I mean, with a green. Yeah, there's a gong going off. <laughs> it, like, starts some sort of, like, Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> no. It makes breakfast for him. That's a different movie. Uh, I, I, I do, I don't care for the scene where they're intercutting that with what you think is Jack Crawford and the people. I thought that was a, you know. I mean, I like the surprise of it, but. Um, I think it's great. I remember just being blown away by that yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, it's still pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, just and to me, uh, what I like about it is it, it makes somehow makes Clarice like twenty percent more vulnerable. Somehow she's just not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. She's a student. <laughs> I can't keep saying this enough. She should not be there. So this Miss Lemon's house, as she thinks, and I love just I, I love watching her in this scene, mostly figuring out when does she know what she knows. Now I think it's I think she starts sketching on that this is who it is as soon as he says. Once she a great big fat person. You think she already knows? I mean, I, it seems like it really clicks when she sees the moth. I, th- well, I think she 100% knows when she's okay, the moth. Okay, but she has an idea. I think she, when he says, once she a great big fat person, there's something flashes across her face. <laughs> she definitely, she registers something. And uh, I mean, she doesn't unholster a gun or whatever she does until she sees the moth. Right. But there's several clues, you know, as she goes in. I mean, she sees all the wallpaper with the butterflies mm-hmm. and... I just love watching There is a lot of green in that house. There's a lot of green. I told you I wouldn't do it. Um, Again, that house makes no sense. But I I really think as soon as it says, oh, wait, was she a great big fat person? Knowing what she knows. No, but Chris, you got to say it the right way. Oh. Was she a great big fat person? Oh, wait. Was she a great big fat person? (laughs) (laughs) Because she already knows, you know, they they need to be roomy. The skin needs to be loose Uh because he needs to starve them. Uh Uh-huh. So the fact that this yeah. would suddenly be confronted with, you know, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and that scene where, you know, he's kind of laughing and, you know, he, he's like, I think I have his business card. You know, the son, the, the mother that used to live here, mm-hmm. uh, which is that's weirdly stated. But, uh, and also that scene where, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's the same scene, but the police are all here to have the first clue. And he's just kind of giggling. She, <laughs> all these things are, you know, she knows. I just think she knows. And I love that when the camera goes behind him, you see the gun on the stove mm-hmm. and the, the music kind of rises. Yeah. Perfect movie. <laughs> it, uh, it really is amazing. Yeah. I mean, she's never been in the field before. I know. I mean, she's never had to fire. She's anymore. a student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, 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 I mean, it was amazing that she went down into that labyrinth and she just, yeah, she didn't call for backup. She didn't call for Mulder. She just went. Right. And uh, I love also when she gets down there, I mean, let's just not talk about all the crazy shit she sees. But again, the, right. the woman's suit. Right. And, uh, it's kind of, and what's even creepier is just slightly out of focus. You don't quite see everything. But, and I don't know. You don't even really maybe register it until after you've seen the movie and know everything that this guy does. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but when she sees Catherine, there's not this, you know, Catherine is not really grateful for her to be there. It's Catherine Ka- calls her a dumb bitch. Yeah. 
Catherine it, is great because I mean it is she plays it like it feels kind of realistic. Yeah, you know she's probably she's starved. I suppose yeah. she's mad. You know this woman is saving her, but not really. She's telling her. She's know. like, no, you don't, bitch. Don't leave me. Right. <laughs> uh, so then you know. You know, Clarice is going through every goddamn room. Then the lights go off after she sees dead yes. Miss Lipman. So sheer terror. <laughs> oh, gosh. That whole bathtub just. Yeah. Of course. And then you have the shot of uh, Buffalo Bill with the night vision goggles. Okay. That's another one of the, the best scenes. Yeah. The way it's shot. But, you know, she hears the sound of the trigger and then she wheels around and, you know, shoots him like eight times. Oh, my gosh. Which that which shot where she spins around. When I was a kid, I used to get so excited by that. Now I kind of <laughs> don't really notice it anymore. But. but, yeah, I mean, just the, the way that he's so close to her and he's reaching out to touch her. Oh, I forget oh, that. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's so scary. And then she plays that. I, I mean, she must have done that in Real Darkness, do you think? I don't know. Poor Jodie Foster. <laughs> also, you know, that I never really thought about but that first scene when she's doing the obstacle course, that's all Jodie Foster. That's yeah. one unbroken shot. So yeah, she's climbing I, yeah, up Yeah, I was rope. also thinking that she's really young, so. Yeah, that's true. And also, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do that. Uh, that'd be a different opening shot with me. Great cathartic moment. She blows him away. I mean, and, and I'm not really, even when I'm even getting how just frightening that scene is. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess we don't have to because everyone has seen this movie. And they you know don't that. know that. We're, maybe we're introducing it to people and, and spoiling the whole thing before they go yeah, watch well, it. Well, that's their fault, but... Um, <laughs> But I think to this day that it's, I mean, I don't know, of top 10 frightening sequences. And oh, horror, for sure. I mean, that's up there. I don't know what would be number one, but that's, which is interesting is Jonathan Demi, you know, I was reading like, you know, what else has he done before this? I wasn't really sure. And this, this is his first movie at all of this kind. Yeah. He's never done a, and I don't know if he really initially called this a horror movie. I would. I think people would maybe want to call it more of a thriller because that sounds no, classier. No, no, no. No, there's, the people are getting their faces cut off, yeah. Chris. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Um, Got Chris Isaac in it. Right. So do you have anything else to say about the climax? Well, I love that they have give you a little relief and show um, the backup come that you see her being comforted, that you see Catherine being walked out with the dog. dog. Chris, she's just now getting her FBI thing. I hope she didn't have to do like any more tests or anything yeah you know she has a powder burn on her yeah. cheek she's like it's just gunpowder is what yeah. she said so it's like what the next <laughs> that afternoon <laughs> i know I, know. I thought it was nice that um crawford showed up you know yeah that and made then, her feel good and then uh, he headed out i guess you know the idea i think from her point is that he's more of a father figure than a lover type don't right you think? then we have um the last scene she has yeah. a phone call mm-hmm. do you want to talk about it yeah. well because you kind of forget about at this point it's been out of the movie for like half an hour yeah so you're like oh it's all over blah 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 and then you're like oh no you forget that he had a that Hannibal Lecter had escaped at some point and you don't even and then you're drawn back in immediately and you know that he's free and he's calling her to let her know he's not gonna hurt her and he has the great line of the world is more interesting with you in it I love that I'm gonna use that on yeah. my I mean, that's on my Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> You'd find the perfect person, you know? I know. But yeah, so then he has the another iconic line is um, having an old friend for dinner. Yeah. And then you see Chilton. And, you know, it's not probably not going to work out well for Chilton. Right. Okay, so that's the only reason he's Bahamas. So he can go back. It's still creepy. Yeah. Well, because Chilton is under, he's under protection. Yeah. They sent him away, but obviously he found him. So, um, Silence of the Lambs, final thoughts? I mean. I mean, I after I finished it, I just thought. That is a damn good movie. Yeah. I mean, all our concerns aside, transphobia, um, homophobia, 
all that kind of is baked in the cake, uh, that is still to me a, a perfectly executed horror movie. Yes. And Jodie Foster is just the just so great. Yeah, I would. I mean, I will look up and find out just how old she was. It makes me very unhappy to know that she did that when she was probably twenty five or something. <laughs> um, I wonder how old Anthony Hopkins was. Please, oh, don't, yeah. please don't say my age. <laughs> he still looks like he's old. He always looks old. Yeah, I remember uh, in. Please, my, don't, um, please don't be. Please don't be our age. Oh my gosh, that'd be so sad. I remember in one of my um, college classes, uh, there's uh, for some reason some of the girls in classes are talking about hot guys, hot celebrities. I remember this girl goes, I love Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, specifically The Sounds of Lambs. I remember thinking, I want to know all about her. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hilarious. But I think I, he was kind of a sex symbol because of this movie, because of the Clarice thing. People thought that was kind of kind of hot, you know? Okay, she was 31. All right, I can deal with that. She okay. was in her 30s. Really? She looks younger. I know, she lo- She does. Um, Anthony Hopkins was born in 37. 60-something when this movie came Okay, out. that makes me feel better. All right, good. 39. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, well done, Jonathan Demi. I would recommend anybody watching this that's interested in the um, LGBT aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And how could you not be? Watch Philadelphia. Compare the two. Think about what they're doing and then maybe watch that um, documentary that's uh, probably easily available on YouTube, but I know for sure it's on a Philadelphia DVD. And they really get into sort of some of the thinking bet- among both those movies. with Because okay. I think the same sort of uh, principal filmmaking team were behind both movies. I mean, obviously Jonathan Demi, but maybe the writer. I'm not really sure. But Well, so let's do it. Let's talk just a tiny bit more about the Hannibal TV show. Okay. Because um, I, I think we should... For the characters that are in this movie that are in the Hannibal TV show, let's say which one we like better. Oh, okay. Okay, so first we're going to go with Jack Crawford, who in The Silence of the Lambs in 91 is played by Scott Glenn. And I know how you feel about Lawrence Fishburne as Jack Crawford in Hannibal, the TV show. So if you had to choose. Um, Lawrence Fishburne. I know. <laughs> you want to tell the people how you feel about Lawrence Fishburne? Well, is this an um, aborted uh, yeah. podcast episode that we'll never see live? Yeah, we did it. We recorded an episode about the TV show Hannibal, and Chris was so drunk, and I was <laughs> so tired, and and I was drunk, and it just was. Why? Why was I so drunk? Like, no, I mean, have we done another one before that? Yes, it was like two a.m. We were trying to cram oh. it in, and it just okay. And I would just like I would be going off about stuff that didn't have anything to do with what we were talking about. It <laughs> was wasn't... the infamous Django Unchained, Jamie yes. Foxx movie. <laughs> Maybe once we get a Patreon, right. enough people, if you if you give enough money, then you, you can well, listen yeah, to I, that. I remember there's a blank check episode where they released some, they did an episode of Batman versus Superman, or that movie's Dawn of Justice. Oh. And it was so bad they never released it. Oh. But they released it just as like a bonus episode. Oh, funny. And it's just like them like being silly, like even more so than usual. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to revisit that. So maybe we can do that. Well, anyway, it's... I don't remember what I said about Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> but I, I do remember thinking he's very handsome and, I, and, I, and I, uh, I love him on that show. But I love uh, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn too. So what are you going to do? I say Lawrence Fishburne too. Good. All right. So then if we're going to say Dr. Hannibal Lecter, <sighs> that's rough. Um, Anthony Hopkins. Or Mads Mikkelsen. I mean, I'm going to have to go with Mads Mikkelsen, but only that's almost unfair because he had so much more to work with. I know. But it's also true. because of the dynamic between him and Will. Oh, my God. Again, the most romantic storyline ever put on film. It really is. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he had, I guess he had three movies, but by the time he got the Red Dragon, honestly, they were just sort of, 
that movie was kind of good, I guess. But I mean, now when I think about Red Dragon, I think so much more about Hannibal season three. They did it yeah. so well. Well, I, I, I prefer Manhunter. I thought was better. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Manhunter in a long time. I just remember that feeling dated to me when I watched it. But I think that's also because I was younger. I was yeah. in my 20s when I watched it. Yeah. So. Well, it's Michael Mann, so it was awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> you should. Everybody should watch Hannibal. We'll have to try and redo that episode. Or maybe we'll re-listen to it and realize that it's good. I wonder if Anthony Hopkins has ever watched Hannibal. Probably not. Hmm. You think he knows it exists? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kristen, um, what true crime do you have uh, for this episode? Okay, so like I had mentioned, there were several serial killers that Buffalo Bill was based on. One of the most famous ones being Ed Gein, but I didn't do him. We have to save him for another movie. And if you're... Can we be a spoiler alert and tell us what movie? I think most people know. Right. And if not, then you'll be surprised. Right. Another one was Ted Bundy, but we already talked about him in... You know, as far as we're concerned over here, and sometimes that is better, burn, Bundy, burn, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're done talking about Ted Bundy. What's your t-shirt say? <laughs> <laughs> um, another one was a guy named Gary M. Heidnick, which I hadn't heard of. He kept women in basements, so that's fun. Um, but who I ended up going with was not one of the main three, but I'm going to tell you about Jerry Brudos. Jared Brudos? Jerry Brudos. Jerry, okay. And so if you've seen... Season one of Mindhunter, whether you've seen it once or if you've seen it three and a half times like me. <laughs> For instance. Yeah. Jerry Brudos is portrayed in Mindhunter. I don't know if you remember. He He's played by a by an actor named Happy Anderson. He's very scary. He's in some, he has some disturbing scenes in there. He's the one who's obsessed with shoes. Oh, yes. Okay. okay. So if you've seen that, then you know, now, like Chris, you have a, a reference to go by. They also call this guy the lust killer or the shoe fetish slayer. Not very original. <laughs> <laughs> what I um I saw a great tweet the other day, and I can't remember what it the exact wording was, but the girl was saying like, "Why do serial killers get cool names like like the Golden State Killer and the Night Stalker? They should have names that more describe them, like like Jim with the tiny penis, or you know <laughs> something that's demeaning, you know, yeah. or or Bobby with the mommy issues or whatever." So Brutus was born in 1939 in South Dakota. His mom really wanted a daughter, but had a second son with Brutus, and she let him know that she wanted a daughter constantly. She abused him and dressed him up as a girl, you know, but not like in a nice way. He started a fetish for women's shoes when he found a spiked heel in the dump at age five. And if you, again, on Mindhunter, he kind of runs through a few of these things. He talks about how he found the shoe, and um, it's pretty interesting. His mom admonished him for bringing this home and made him get rid of the shoe. He also tried to steal his first grade teacher's shoes. And Mindhunter, he describes it as the teacher would kick her shoes off under her desk. And uh, he tried to steal them. And the way he described it in Mindhunter, he said that she just kind of thought it was cute. Like she thought it was just funny, you know. He also had a fetish for women's underwear. He started stalking women at a young age. He would knock on their door and when they answered the door, he'd knock them out, steal their shoes, and run away. Jeez. Is that not something that... That should be something in a Thomas Harris novel. He would actually knock them out? Yes. Jeez. How was he not caught like instantly? Well, he was. Yeah. Well, not pretty soon. Whenever he was 17, actually. So this started um, to evolve, and he had violent, disturbing fantasies involving women. He He's already seeing psychiatrists. 
people and these psychiatrists were already saying that he all this stems back to his mother like how come on how cliche right similar to ed gein who we'll talk about at some point and ed kemper who also is in mindhunter who's played by the amazing cameron Britton. oh right um so his family eventually settles in salem oregon and at age 17 he attacked a woman with a knife because he wanted to take naked pictures of her and she didn't want to he beat her up and he was sent to Oregon Psychiatric Hospital they diagnosed him with schizophrenia and then released him and he graduated from high school that nice so he still got to graduate with his class so is this in the like the 60s do you think or well no you said 39 he was born in 39 oh so like the 50s yeah so, yeah, about the early 60s, when he's in his early 20s, he marries a 17-year-old. They have two children. They move into a suburb in Salem. He becomes an electrician. But things with his wife are fraught. Uh, he would make his wife do housework naked, just in high heels, which, in the right context, sounds pretty sexy. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like that could be something that could be fun. But not in this case, not at all. Like, there's so many of these things that, you know, I, I guess it's kind of got, kind of going back to James Gunn, where... You say his name differently every goddamn time. <laughs> James Gum. That is not a name. And neither is Jane Gunn. <laughs> I keep thinking James Gunn, you know? Right, well, that, yeah. Okay, but... but Sweetheart. <laughs> be having a shoe fetish or having wanting your wife to wear high heels for fetish can all be normal and then it's just these these outliers fetishes in in and of themselves are not creepy or scary or bad right they're fetishes (laughs) right (laughs) and you're not um a piece of shit like this guy so his relationship becomes strained more and more with his wife she doesn't want to go along with this kinky shit anymore she didn't like him dressing up in women's underwear speaking of my (laughs) what speaking of what I was uh, texting my dad earlier about the armadillo in my backyard. Oh, my God. And? And he texted me saying uh, what it looked like. The dildo did a job in your yard. (laughs) (laughs) And I was reading that on the way to your house, and I almost crashed my car. (laughs) Or you're like, oh, no. Yeah, but he actually wrote the word dillo, but I just had no frame of reference for what that text was going to (laughs) be. The dildo did a number in your yeah, front yard. because I just had so many questions. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> like he's never watched my cat again. <laughs> uh, so, so back to Jerry. So Jerry set up in his garage, kept it locked. His wife had to contact th- him through an intercom. She wasn't allowed in there. At some point, his wife finds nude photos, plastic molds of breasts, but claims she doesn't know what was going on in there. Okay. So, in 1967, Brutos followed a woman home because he liked her shoes. He broke in, strangled her until she passed out, and then raped her. Left her alive, though, at least. But um, and so, but this was just an escalation. So, between 1968 and 1969, which is interesting, because in our last episode, we talked about the Manson murders. Oh, right. And so, this was coming going on at the same time. So, you just imagine that... They must have thought the world was ending, right? 69, we're done. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of reasons. Um, and so I'm going to go through the victims 
first one is Linda Slauson. She was 19. She was a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman who knocked on Brutus's door. He invited her into her, into her garage, which, uh, again, in Mindhunter, if you watch that, he he talks, he'll talk around. Like, he'll say, like, oh, yeah, she came into my garage. I took photos of her. But he never admits to hurting them in the, you know, when he portrays, the actor portraying him. He knocks her out with a wooden plank, strangles her. He dressed her in different undergarments, which is just creepy. Like, like he thinks that they're his dolls. Yeah, yeah. Um, he arranged her body. This is after he murdered her. And then he cut her foot off, which he kept in the freezer. So that way he could put different shoes on it. Jesus. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. He ended up disposing her body in the Willamette River, which is the river that runs through Oregon, which runs through Eugene, where my parents live. Um, his next victim was Karen Sprinker. She was 18. He abducted her from um, outside of a department store in 68. Um, in this case, he was dressed in women's clothing during the attack. This is a big guy, you know, so it's not like it, he he probably would stand out. I'm sure that would be a bit jarring to run into a man clear dressed as a woman who takes you as, at gunpoint, you know. He had the same um, Emma with her, posing her, ended up strangling her. He also performed necrophilia on her. Cut off her breasts. Jesus. And that's where he made the plastic molds. God, I hate... You love true crime. <laughs> I know. And then, like, you start getting into it, and you're like, this is bad. <laughs> Ugh. Um, and then, again, he threw her into the Willamette River. Next one was Jan Susan Whitney, who was 23. Her car broke down, and he offered her a ride home by letting her, offering her to let her come in and call a tow truck. He strangled her a leather strap. And again, raped her. He kept her body hanging in his garage for several days, which he dressed and photographed, continued to have sex with. I mean, this is beyond Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Again, he cut off one of her breasts, made a mold out of it, and used it as a paperweight. Again, he threw her in the Willamette River and threw out Linda Lawson's foot that he had kept because it had rotted. Um, Sharon Wood, 24, he attempted to abduct her um, from a parking garage in Portland. Luckily, she got away. Uh, Gloria Jean Smith was only 15. He attempted to abduct her, but she got away. His last victim was Linda Saley, 22, from a shopping mall. He brought her to a garage, raped and strangled her. Same thing. And then threw her into the Willamette. So, but the women that he attacked or attempted to um, abduct, went to the police, and that ended up leaving them to Brudos. They discovered tons of photos. Can you imagine the poor officers that have to deal with these cases? They have to go in to this garage and collect all this information. I just can't. They found countless photos of the women dead, um, severed limbs. I mean, they pretty much had everything there. So they convicted him for the... He got convicted for three counts because they didn't find one body. I mean, I guess it's good these dumbasses make their own evidence, you know, and just leave it around. That's yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's, or that's... That is at least something. In prison, he wrote to shoe companies requesting shoe catalogs, and his cell was littered with them. He died in prison in Oregon in 2006. Yay. <laughs> I know. I don't want to get too far into the psychology of all that because it is 
yes, he had a terrible childhood. His mom was awful. But there's so much more to it that he obviously was had those bad inclinations and the violence. And anyway, he's bad. He's dead. I mean, yeah, but you, I mean, you do wonder. I mean, but for the mother. I know. Treating that way. I mean, who knows? I mean, or the, if he had been born, things pretty specific. If he had been born now and there was an outlet for his fetish that was uh, yeah, healthy. That's a better point. Yeah. Um, but or, yeah, if his mom just raised him. Like a, like a good mom. And then, of course, Brutus in prison in Mindhunter. Uh, Jonathan Groff buys him shoes and he takes them over in the corner and masturbates to them. It's so disturbing. All right. So that is Jerry Brutus. And the Silence of the burn, Lambs. Burn, Jerry, burn. Yeah. And the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. That was a lot of thoughts. So I really hope that people reach out if they have thoughts or if they have um, more insight into the LGBT issues, the transphobic issues. That would be great to hear. We'd love to hear your stories. If you saw this and how it affected you, if you saw it at a younger age too. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear from people older than me when I was, I mean, I watched this when I was 11. I had not come out yet, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, I say obviously, I guess now that's you know entirely possible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I was an adult, I, I'm curious to know what people really thought um, upon actually seeing the movie because there was, you know, a controversy sight unseen as well as you know these things happen yeah but i'm curious to know from an adult in that time you know what they kind of thought about when they saw it okay well so reach out to us join our facebook group sometimes groups are better um we have a lot of cool people on there not chris but um (laughs) but i'm on twitter okay twitter at sometimes dead for instagram at sometimes dead podcast um so go ahead and follow us on there Send us your ideas for movies, for true crimes. The first thing that scared you, anything you want to tell us would be great. All right. Well, I I enjoyed this one. So I'm hoping you guys did too. All right. Bye. Have the lamb stop screaming. (laughs) 